Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. And today I'm welcomed by Aaron Mary of Baptist Health Jacksonville. Did I get that right? Aaron? You got it right. Yeah. <laughs> and you are the chief digital officer and information officer. It's a bunch of alphabets in there. But There's yeah, a lot of going on there, man. Chief digital information officer. That's right. For Baptist Health. You got it. <laughs> All right, man. I used to do my alphabet with cereal in the morning, so I could probably find <laughs> enough letters to... You always run out of the vowels, though. We try to create words. You always run out of vowels. Like, man, never enough of them. <laughs> exactly. So tell us what's going on at Baptist Jacksonville. You've so got a really lot going on, right? A lot. And yeah. so... Florida. Let's take Florida as a macro example. Yeah. Awesome. It's about a thousand people a day moving to Florida, just Gosh. under a hundred people a day moving to Northern Florida. So our region is booming in growth. To put that in perspective for you, at the height of when I was in Austin prior to COVID, there were about 85 to 90 people a day moving to Austin. So we're on a pace and a clip that is either as good, if not better than Austin, Texas. Now, why? right? Favorable taxes, favorable climate. Quite simply, it's affordable still. They rank Jacksonville as the second best city to live in outside of Tampa in Florida because of affordability. You're on the beach. It's sunny like 300 days out of the year. I mean, you have family here. You know this, Ed. Yeah, it's absolutely. beautiful year round here. So it's everybody is like, why am I living in the cold dead of winter wherever when I could just live in the sun and pay a fraction of taxes. So what's happening here is robust growth, robust demographic change of your workforce coming into market, robust demographic change of your patients happening, all good things. And a health system that is a very successful one, largest independent, locally governed health system in all of Northern Florida that is growing rapidly. But when you grow, you start stretching your processes to the max. So we're in the process right now of really revamping our operations how we become more efficient, more effective, to make sure we do a really good job of patient care, which we do, but to make sure that we weed out any inefficiencies and that we're the best possible product to the market. It's the old business adage, to be good at business, be good at business. So it's kind of where we're at. That's right. And how does transformation fit into all that? Yeah, so transformation is part and parcel is part of doing good business. And what boards of directors have realized and this is why even my role, when my predecessor retired, they said, we really want a chief digital officer. We don't just want a CIO. It's how do I drive top-line growth from digital beyond just efficiency and EBITDA? Usually IT was like, all right, just make me more efficient. Build me a better way to crack the walnut. Now it's help me engage with the walnut farmers so I get more walnuts to crack, right? Help me engage more with the people that are coming in in a way that's smarter and more robust. So my job is as much about P&L and growing share than it is also about being more efficient and putting in a new EMR or new back office systems and all the things you normally do as a CIO. It's about that digital engagement. So working closely with our operators, with our marketing team, with our business leaders on how do you get more patients here that have neurological symptoms or more cardiovascular symptoms or more mm -hmm. orthopedic symptoms, or gosh, they want to deliver a baby and they want to start planning in a year. So how do we get in front of them now so that when they do have a baby, they want to deliver at a Baptist? It's all those pieces fit together. Yeah, you had me at EBITDA. <laughs> you must be a CEO, Ed. Because <laughs> I can pronounce it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while, 30-some yeah. years. Right. <laughs> so tell our listeners how you got into healthcare. All right. So my mom was a nurse mm -hmm. growing up. So I was around it my whole life growing up. Now, I was that weird kid 
who fell in love with Tinker Toys, remember Tinker Toys and, oh, yeah. you know, Light Brights, and then eventually migrated to word processors when they became, they got off the computers and they were Tandy word processors. Mm -hmm. And then I had the orange screen, if you recall that. So mm -hmm. I would write a lot of stuff on there, typing and taught myself how to type. And then eventually the early languages of C and Pascal and COBOL Turbo and all Pascal. these things. Yeah. And really just sort of self-taught. And then when mm -hmm. classes became available, they started doing computer classes about the time I entered high school, right? This is mid-90s now, early 90s. And I fell in love. And I was like, this is cool, man. I can actually make this thing do what I tell it to do. And it's kind of like a power <laughs> trip when you're a programmer. Like, haha, watch me do this to the mouse, right? So you get really involved with these things. So mm -hmm. I got to college. And at first, I was pre-med. Then as everybody does, you switch it about 10 times. And I was convinced I was going to be an astronaut one day. That's not going to happen. So then I was like, let me go into electrical engineering. But I realized that it wasn't electrical engineering. I really want to do computer engineering. And that became a degree at that point, right? Because mm -hmm. it was EE with a CS minor or CS major. And then you could go CSE or CE. And so I decided to flip all together and go to CSE route. And so I fell in love with computers. And it happened that I was a developer at Comcast at the time. We were, as cable systems, we were acquired by Time Warner. I became a free agent. I'm leaving for Microsoft. Like I accepted the job to be part of the team that would eventually help rebuild the kernel for Windows XP to eventually become Windows 7. Didn't know that at the time. It was their security team is all they told me. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I was moving to Seattle and then I get a phone call from Methodist Health System in Dallas, Texas. This is circa 2003, 2004, saying, hey, we're doing this thing called digitizing medical records. You wanna come help us? I'm like, what is that? That sounds interesting. And being me, right? I always choose the path of like the weirdest thing possible. And I'm like, that sounds interesting and weird. Let's go do that. I can always go work for Bill Gates later on. That's how I ended up in healthcare. And I fell in love with it. And it ended up being a Rubik's cube of impossible sorts to fix. And I love situations like that. And for me, it's fun. Right? I really find intangible joy helping people. And that's mm -hmm. what you get to do in my role is you get to bring technology solutions to help people. I mean, that's the yeah. best thing possible. It truly is a unique industry, unlike any other. I, I entered in healthcare with Improvada, actually. So that was my first experience in healthcare. And what a wonderful industry. And everyone tells you it's different, but you really don't appreciate the difference and uniqueness of it until you're in it. And you realize that first and foremost, the relationships you develop with people right. are unlike others because of the shared mission right. of healthcare that everyone's a patient, everyone knows patients, everyone has family right. that's in and out of hospitals. So like I can tell my mother or when she was alive, I could tell her what I did and she got it. And then when she would visit the hospitals, she'd say, my son created that. You see that thing you're clicking on? That's my son's. I'm like, mom, no, that's a keyboard mom. That's I didn't. I didn't create that. I didn't make the keyword. You do the podcast, right? No. That's right. But occasionally she'd get it right. She'd see the badges. Like, I, yeah, I was part go. of that. It was so interesting. And I love some of the innovations you're driving as well at the health system. So you want to talk more about that? I saw some recent news clips on some of the innovations. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about? Yeah. About so what's cool about Baptist, one of the reasons I came here was the desire from your frontline staff all the way to the board of directors, what's do more with digital, kind of like I was telling you about a little bit ago, mm -hmm. and really engage this community in a way it wants to be engaged. And I mean, that's great lip service until you get in it, right? But I felt really confident that, okay, eyes wide open. I've been here now 18 months. This seems to be an organization that really, really wants 
to be in leading edge. And it is. So now being here for a year and a half, through and through, it absolutely is. And so some of the things we've been able to do, number one, we rolled out our own low-code platform mm -hmm. to allow for our nurses and doctors to write their own software. They That's no longer have to rely on me to do anything. They can write their own stuff. And they've already built five apps. They're about to launch their sixth one this week of stuff they would have just built in Excel or a Microsoft Access Database because that's all they had at the time. But I gave them a drag and drop, low-code platform, and boom, they're creating their own solutions to push to Baptist devices. Cool. All right. Second thing that we're doing, again, hospitals in healthcare in Florida aren't doing this. Second thing we're doing, we're the first health system in all of Florida to bring Moxie robots here oh. to deploy side-by-side -side with the caregivers, Moxie. And it does all the utility things, right? Get your clean linen, get your food, get blood, all these things, all the stuff that you would have a nurse running between floor to pharmacy and back. Now this robot goes. Not unlike if you go to Las Vegas, you see little robots with food trucks carting back and forth to your room. Same thing, but it works and it's effective and it's sterile and it's made for a healthcare environment. So we're doing these things programmatically. Analytics, another dimension we're doing. We're doing high-end AI. We're one of the founding members of Truveta in terms of a consortium of hospitals that got together to put our data together. We do things at Baptist that I was trying to push the envelope with at UT Austin, but because it's a state institution, you have state regulations for the right reasons. But here, I'm able to go faster with a group that's hungry, with a team of people that's brilliant, with a part of the country that wants it. So what that materializes to are these news stories you're alluding to and national news I'm now seeing a Baptist in like Iowa showing what we did here in Jacksonville. I'm like, how did my friends in Iowa see this? So it's all because of the people and because of the leadership here. And so I was blessed to make the right decision a year and a half ago and sign the contract. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did. But the reality is this organization's always been that way. And they just needed a digital officer or someone to be the spark behind innovation. So that's yeah. where we're at. That's great. And a synonym for the word moxie is courage, yeah. which is one of our values. And obviously you had to take steps to make those changes and have the courage to move those projects forward and those initiatives forward. And so because of that, I've got something I wanted to, to share with you today. Yeah, let's see it. Here. And so we honor you, sir, for all the work you do. Yeah, And uh, you notice I'm undressing. What are you so. doing, man? What are you doing, Ed? <laughs> you know it's going to get weird, Ed. Wow, Ed. Wrist never sleeps, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm going to take this off here. All and right. I'm going to share with you a little bit of something. I don't know if you can see it yet. But uh, uh, so here we go. Hold on for one second. Move this mic out of the way here. We made a little oh, T-shirt here, the Moxie. Awesome. <laughs> the Moxie with your logo. That is you, cool. You can see. Yeah, isn't that great? So, That's cool. <laughs> I got to get some of those. Oh, we're going to send you one. We're going to send you one. So, I love that. <laughs> My team will eat that up. That's isn't fantastic. that great? Well, you're going to have to get me your a wish list of sizes, and we'll go ahead. And Done. <laughs> we'll get some Moxie socks. We'll get it with the whole line going. I isn't whole, it great, though? Isn't I see a whole like, product segment uh, here for all your VCs, a whole product line coming out of Sensimit on, on Moxie. all the you do, my friend. Uh, so I wanted to share that with you. That, was, you. that was not my idea, but I said I would do it. <laughs> so I have a feeling who on your team recommended that. And I appreciate that. So, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. So I think that innovation is fantastic. And I'm sure you've sort of whetted your appetite on chat GBT. You've been looking at it. Absolutely. What's your take? I think it's a game changer. I think mm -hmm. that this is where Web3 wanted to go. I think that this was the promise of massive data stores and faster mm -hmm. compute. Yeah. I think this is the promise of the eventual interface of natural language processing into an interface like a chat GPT 
There's a few other ones, right? NVIDIA has a decent platform. Mm -hmm. Others, ChatGPT just happened to get the most press time and they get $10 right. billion dollar infusion of dollars from Microsoft. <laughs> okay, no problem. That helps. Doesn't because hurt. Microsoft can do that, right? That's great. Here's a check. I wish I could. But I think in healthcare, the promise is this. We right now cannot create physicians and nurses, when I say create, graduate them fast enough, right? We cannot find them fast enough. It just takes years. As you want them to take years to become proficient at their job, so you're gonna start really young to recruit them a decade later. Okay, yeah. that's a long tail. If I can shrink the amount of linkage time and time to get to value for that new grad by enabling them with an assistant like a chat GPT to accelerate their acceleration to knowledge and new knowledge. That's interesting. Look at how fast I can now take that 10 year no. graduate, air quotes, to become a four year graduate with just as much knowledge if not better with that phone a friend Kind of like, you know, you see the like cartoons, a good angel and the bad angel, kind of like that. So you have chat GPT and you're, you know, guessing here on this side. So what if you had that? So there's a whole lot here I see around medical education, around patient education, and as well as the ability for hospital administrators to eventually simplify the amount of back office staff you need to do coding, you need to do prior auth, doing all these things that cost tens of millions of dollars a year streamline it, help make that. those agents more efficient and more effective, right? We can't create those folks. And I love that. If you think about the history of knowledge, right? So sort of the first version of that, the first application in a yeah. big way was Google, Google yeah. search engine, all of a sudden made us, I used to say, Google makes me smarter, right? Sure. Lazier as well. And then the next generation, if you will, leveraged Google plus YouTube. So my kids all use, they want to learn something, they're autodidacts with YouTube. They pick up YouTube and they go, oh, I want to learn how to do this. They watch a YouTube yes. and all of a sudden they're experts on your chat GPT is that next generation now where right. you apply all of that exponentially. And it'll be interesting to see how people apply it. But I think you're right. It's going to be that, it's almost like that equivalent to the building blocks of coding, right? Before you had to write lines of code, then it was object-oriented program, then it was low code. And so it's that same type of evolution, but now on knowledge and how we apply knowledge. I saw a really interesting, I think it was Forbes, a uh, contributor article that had somebody like extrapolating what chat GPT could be. And I thought the best analogy was, you know how we all loved and hated Clippy back with Windows on Five? <laughs> what if you had a really smart Clippy? I was like, oh, that's a really interesting that's, way of thinking about it. That's good. A useful Clippy. Useful Clippy. I was like, I can see a useful Clippy. There's the, there's need for that. That's cool. That's so great. That's so great. All right. Let's get a little personal. Last couple of years have been really hard on a lot of people. What are you most proud of this past year, personally and professionally? Personally, I would say that we moved in the middle of a pandemic, which again, I love Austin. I will always love Austin. I go back to Austin as much as I can. But moving in the middle of a pandemic is hard, particularly when you have young kids. It's even harder when you're moving across the country where there's really no family over here. And it was a leap of faith. And so seeing them successful, seeing my both my daughters, straight A students, they both had a blip in their grades the first month we were here. You can imagine the stress yeah, of it, but they're fine now. Successful, my wife teaching. All the things personally, with my personal life, it worked, right? And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for their support and for my family's support to make that happen and friends, right? To make sure that my yeah. community ecosystem of people came with me to really help make that. So that's my personal success is that. Professional success, I would honestly say, is what we've been able to do here at Baptist in, like I said, 15, 16 months mm -hmm. that I hear all the time, this would never have happened before. And I'm like, well, it's the same people. <laughs> it's just a different spark, but it's the same folks. It's not like I got rid of 500, 800 people. No, these are the same staff. I added a few position players, but I didn't do anything major. Folks were just hungry for it. So 
I would say professionally seeing the success of Bathysel, seeing us in the news, doing things. An EMR swap is never sexy, but it's important and it's hard to do and do it right and do it well. And we did that well, right? We opened mm-hmm. up two hospitals over the course of the year. So it's been a year of change. I navigated two hurricanes. Those things aren't easy, right? Mm-hmm. On top of all the other things you're dealing with, you're dealing with that. And it's important. It's important to get it right. It's important to anchor yourself and all those things. You know, I'm a about a year into my PhD program personally. And so that's been interesting doing that also oh, in the middle of the pandemic. Didn't so you know that. Yeah, so I got to drop some knowledge on you. Drop me a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> knowledge. It's one of those things that wow, you, know, you. That's you make the time for what's important, both professionally yeah. and personally. And you make the time for what you want to do. And you surround yourself with the people that you want to emulate and you want to be around. And so when you do that and you have a true north, and my north is helping people and being a family man, then... You come out the other side in this perspective, right? No, that's great. Outside of healthcare, what are you passionate about? What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? Nothing. Ed, everything's about healthcare. <laughs> nothing. Come on. Nothing. Nothing. No, I would say, honestly. You'd um, be dancing at a casino. I would I've have seen that. Sure, I would be. If I'm winning. I would say that I'm actually a big believer in human psychology and sociology. I love to study the reason for why it makes people think and tick. Mm. I would love one day, nothing more than just obsessed with that dimensions of people and persona and management theory. I geek out on that stuff. And it's probably why I became a senior executive because all senior executives have so many problems that I love to dissect and digest. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I say that fictitiously, but no, the reality is I love people. I love yeah. making people yeah. tick. I love working with folks. I love growing people. I love seeing them succeed. I love showcasing managers in front of our board of directors. Like, look at this superstar who you're going to see a lot more of in a decade. Watch that. Awesome. awesome? That's the coolest feeling in the world to make somebody bigger than what they are and believe in them and then watch them blossom. Like, yeah, I knew it. It's so great when you see people like that years later and you go like, yep, that person worked on my team. And that's right. And they come back to you. Like they call you for advice still and they're still reach out to you. It's, isn't that fantastic? To me, that's what makes this really worth it. So what would you tell your 20-year-old self? That was like last week. So that's why <laughs> that's why I stumbled a little bit there. I'm like, wait a minute, isn't he 21 uh, right now? Wait a minute. 25, Ed. You know, it's gonna ride, man. What would I tell my 20-year-old self? Don't put too much worry into what other people think about you. Mm, that's a great do, one. Do the right thing all the time and everything mm-hmm. else works out. Just do right by other people. Don't be a jerk. Do right by others and keep your head on straight and don't worry about other people. Don't just keep going. So in your 20s, you worry so much about what other people think about you only to get to your 40s and 50s and realize no one was ever thinking about you to begin with. Nobody. And it didn't matter. (laughs) Like, that's right. It matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Unfortunately, I didn't have that worry. Unfortunately, I had no filter either. So. Oh, well. (laughs) You also admirably served our country and earned the right I, to have no filter. I, I, so I don't want to hear sir. that. No, thank you, sir. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I appreciate you and all you do. Because this is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, I have to ask you this question. Sure. Let's try to keep it clean, too. Okay. What's the riskiest thing you've ever done? Huh. Huh. <laughs> huh, Ed. huh. Riskiest thing I've yeah. ever done. All right. Yeah. So, fun story for you. Okay. This was go. early on to being a manager. So usually in data, this again, go to data center side before there was cloud, before all these things, you were hosting all these things on big mainframes, right? So mm-hmm. you had a bunch of big mainframes. This obviously. isn't sounding too risky, Aaron. You, well, no, it's risky. <laughs> okay, just, right, just, trust me, just trust me, just trust me, right? And so 
we were testing to make sure that there was a clean uh, home run power supply for every single chassis that we had in the data center, right? So you pull the floor panels, yeah. you make sure it's plugged in, you make sure both sides is an A side and a B side, usually for old Santa rays. But one of them was old HP Santa ray that we really didn't have any idea. Was it truly powered off the same receptacle or not? And we were trying to trace the power lines out. We're like, we really can't tell in the back if it's really going to two different PDUs or not. And so I looked at my manager, actually he was a team lead, I was a manager, and I said, hey, just pull the other one out. And if it goes dark, he was like, but Aaron, this is the Santa Ray for like our financial systems. I'm like, how hard can it be? Just unplug it. And if it's dual run, then it won't go down. If it's not dual run, we'll know. And we'll, we'll be in trouble. We'll know. <laughs> we'll He's know right like, away. Go bigger, go home. I'm like, go bigger, go home, do it. He unplugged it. Sure enough. So this is what happens when you have a oh, Santa Ray. Man. All the lights on the front of the array light up and they start blinking at you, but they don't turn off. It's oh. basically a way for it to alert you that one leg went down. Yeah. So I would say that's the most risky, known, eyes wide open, risk assumed and accepted thing I have done. Oh, never dreamt out of a plane? Well, I've done that too, but that's personal. (laughs) (laughs) Ever bungee jump? Come on, these are more risky than that, pulling that Kind of like you know me, Ed. Like, yes, all those things. I was trying to keep it work-related, but yes, I've done all those things. This is the riskiest thing you've ever done in your life. It could be work-related. I guess jumping out of a plane would equate to one. (laughs) That's pretty risky. Yeah, it's pretty fun, though. (laughs) Pretty fun. Pretty fun. All right. Well, anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners? No, I would say that right now in healthcare specifically, cyber risk and third-party risk is one of the most important things for a CIO or CDO to get in front of. Your board of directors, if they're not already asking you about this, will be asking you about this. And it is the number one threat vector that foreign adversaries are getting in is via third-party risk. There's nothing you can do to assume good intent on any of your vendors, but as long as you trust but verify, have a really good plan, check those BAs, and make sure that you're putting everything in front of your board of directors, and I mean everything, then you will be okay because it will happen to you. It's just a matter of if and not when. That's a great way to end this podcast. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you very much. And you're welcome. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm Ed Gaudet. I'm the host of Risk Never Sleeps podcast. And if you are on the front lines of healthcare, protecting patient safety, we salute you and stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T dot com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.